the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. Today, we have an interesting one. It is 2001 Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Joining me today is one of my favorite guests. Now, there's some stuff to discuss before we talk about this. Let me just introduce him. He is my Star Wars consultant, my Marvel consultant, (laughs) my Rocky consultant. So here he is today for Crocodile Dundee 3, Kyle Reinfried. Welcome back. G'day, mate. (laughs) Have you had any shrimp off the bobby today? (laughs) No, not yet, but the the night is young. Actually, it didn't occur to me, but as sort of the food aficionado of the network, have you had crocodile or gator? I've had gator. I've had yeah. gator, yeah, down in New Orleans, down in the Keys, Florida Keys. Yeah, so I've had gator. I've had snake. Oh, have you had skunk? No, but I had raccoon. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, long story short on that, I... Uh, when I No, please, to- take up the hour if you can. <laughs> <laughs> when I used to work in reality TV, I worked on a... Well, actually, it's appropriate because I, just as uh, these are fish-out-of-water stories, a show that I worked on was called My Redneck Vacation, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll never guess what it's about. You know, it's a family from Shreveport, Louisiana, are spending the summer up in the Hamptons, hilarity ensues mm-hmm. let's go to the beverly hillbillies kind of situation. yeah the production started out i forget who he was i guess maybe the main producer was mm-hmm. just like li- listen like i just want to make sure everyone's on the same page and we're not making fun of the family it's like yes you are you're making them look worse than they actually like they had them drive up from shreveport louisiana in this rv that broke down multiple times they got it for them but on camera they were like oh this is the family rv so it's like yeah. automatically you're making them look trashy i get or cheap or whatever and not that the family didn't eat this stuff i don't know I, this was 12 years ago this show what network was this on because i want to go look it up after i'm gonna find the episode i want to say country te- what's country television uh, like cmt country music television yeah exactly once they got into the reality game this was like the first season of the show it's called my big redneck vacation or my redneck vacation something like that yeah and one of the episodes they're inviting some people over for a barbecue but at the barbecue there's raccoon and there's snake and there's again not that these people didn't eat that it's not like necessarily that's what they would cook for people that don't live by them i love duck i love rabbit i'm not gonna serve that to everybody i'm kind of gonna go with the basics you know chicken or beef or maybe pork anyway was it good? Did you enjoy raccoon? Do you like snake? Would would you ask for it again if it was on the menu? I would have gator again. What was that scenario? It's the joke as old as time tastes like chicken. Oh, is it, but what's the scenario that I had it? Yeah, like how did you come about eating it? Did you wrestle it yourself? Exactly. <laughs> I think they had that there too i think they had like a big tail that they like but that purchased i'm pretty damn sure that i had gator like i tried it when i was younger in florida and then if this show was 12 years 11 12 years ago it would have been after that that i know i definitely had gator which would be my trips to the, the florida keys and you know you just see like gator bites and i mean it's it's fried i mean anything deep fried is good but really it, yeah, it tastes like chicken it tastes like chicken i've had it gator sausage in louisiana like new orleans and stuff like that pretty cool i might myself have never i would try snake i've never had snake i always see people eating snake in movies they're just like gnawing into it and like i I would give that a shot you see that a lot on like naked and afraid they always catching snake and, and they're roasting snake i've been doing a lot of research for a trip that i'm going on with my girlfriend for oaxaca in mexico and one of their dishes is iguana point being there's a good chance i'm gonna try iguana while i'm in oaxaca people have iguanas as pets guanas are the ones that are in after i watched three for the podcast i went back and i watched crocodile dundee and i got through the second half of crocodile dundee too oh but i think the sun mentions goana in oh yeah there is oh, one yeah, there yeah. is one in the beginning of the movie that's so point right. being that's like that's a bigger bigger than iguana but yeah iguana okay. the, iguanas kind of look like in the beginning of 
the 90s Godzilla. I think it's an iguana that becomes... Oh, yes, yes. It's funny that the iguana is bigger, but it has less letters to its name. Yeah. You'd think it'd have more letters, but... (laughs) By the way, I'm a fan of that that Godzilla design. I just want to go out on a limb while it came up. But wait, you, (laughs) you went back and you watched the first one and half of the second one as well? Well, it got me nostalgic. So yeah, Mm -hmm. so I mean, I watched the third one and that was on HBO Max currently. And right away after it suggested, and I watched it at a pretty reasonable hour. And the movies are quick. They're like an hour and 40, you know? Mm -hmm. Then I watched, I was like, oh, well, let me go to the first one because I love the first one. I was like, I like the second one too, from what I recall. I definitely watched the first one so many times. I got through the first half, the New York part, of two and then after we record this i'm probably gonna go back and watch the second half <laughs> and i'm not lying here i might go back and watch the first one again because ah, I, so I, good. I got, dude i got so nostalgic like we'll, we'll get into it like i've heard i've heard about this one this one's kind of notorious in um, like in, in bad movie circles and, yeah. and things i had never seen it but i saw the first two in theaters as a kid i mean i, I, oh, I don't wow. know the first one i think i was too young for in theaters but 1986 I watching it i've on VHS and, and cable. And then the second one, I think I liked even more, to be honest with you. I don't know. There's something about, I love how that movie split in half. Well, yeah, it's, well, it's the reverse of the first one. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that as a kid at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah I just yeah. felt like an hour into the second one, everything was resolved. And then they're like, Mick, we're going to send you to Australia and hide you out there and hide out in the outback. That's literally where I left off. And his whole thing is like, he, raids the house to save her and there's like his buddy Leroy Brown that actually pushes he sells uh, stationary goods but he has a reputation he's like yeah man I'm Leroy Brown you know like you gotta have that a way about you and like everyone thinks he's this badass he's like no man I just sell stationary so he gets Leroy to connect them to this New York gang Mick gets this gang to go out to Long Island and cause a distraction while he goes into the house he knocks the main guy and the head henchman unconscious and save sue but then they get away and then they're in their apartment the next day and there's a sniper and the guy's like i didn't think the dea guy's like i didn't think they'd retaliate so soon and he's just like this is your plan of saving us it's just like i know i can do it so let me take it to where i know i've got the upper hand Oh man, I love how 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 the accents are flying tonight. It's terrific. <laughs> That's where I'm in the second one, but the first movie. Ooh, I mean, I'll go in whatever order you want, but I I can't. I'm ready to dish. The second one, Charles S. Dutton as Leroy Brown. We got Louise Guzman is in there. Colin freaking Quinn shows up as yeah, Jedi. Colin Quinn. Yeah, yeah, just like New just Yorker. Yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, what's going on here? But he's like in a tux. He's like supposed hey, to. Who do you think you are, crocodile or something, man? Oh man, I looked up in both. This move, uh, the second one and the first one, the bar that he goes to still exists. It's on Avenue B. Yeah, it's right. It's right a block away from this bar that I, a cocktail bar that both me and Brian Rodriguez have frequented. And so I texted him. And if you want to make the trek, I mean, it's right right in Alphabet City. Lower East Side is such a fun area. We should have recorded this episode there. <laughs> yeah, it starts with a V. It's still the same name. I saw Avenue B, so I was like looking on Google Maps. I'm like, oh, let me just go on IMDb, and like, sure enough, they had it as a location. Yeah, something Horseshoe Bar. But man, yeah, let me tell you, like, I think my dad told me about, like, introduced me to this movie, you know, to the first one, and I was enamored, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I dressed up like him in sixth grade. Awesome. I even remember going to a dance, and I, I really, even at six, I mean, we're, ta- you know, I was, I was. I was such an innocent sweet boy. I really didn't know, pardon me, I didn't know much about masturbation yet. And I, in hindsight, I had this big knife and I remember eighth grade boys, like, because my sister was in eighth grade. So it was a dance between like sixth, seventh and eighth graders. And like being like, uh, like, oh, these kids are being like cool. And they're making me do this like dance move with my knife, which is clearly about jerking off. Because oh, <laughs> I had a, even like a way bigger knife than Mick. Like it was just one of those comically large, you know, Halloween type, like, butcher knives so it was more of like like a scream knife comically bit like looked like the oh, size, okay. of, size of like a shark fin even to freshman year of high school i remember that we had a big folder on the shelves in in my art class to put our weekly artwork into i wrote on the outside of mine g'day mate like nice <laughs> My aunt and uncle went to Australia when I was in sixth grade for their honeymoon. They brought me back a boomerang and a didgeridoo. 
Oh, that yeah. There's so many great um, like cultural items from that part of the world. I love oh, the concept so cool. of the boomerang. The boomerang to a kid is like magic. Yeah, and the fact that Reginald Vell Johnson, the fact that he takes that off of, in the first movie and throws it from the car, and like the whole joke is like, you know, like Mick is just like, "What tribe are you from?" Oh, that's yeah. So we should maybe that's a good time to maybe transition a little into uh, some <laughs> Paul Hogan talk. Let's like mention it first. This. I didn't know this about the movie, which is that it was actually nominated for Best Original Screenplay for the yeah. Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Won a Golden Globe. Uh, like, well, he won a Golden. He won Globe a Golden Globe. Best Globe. Actor in a comedy. Which, yeah. yeah, musical or comedy. It takes kind of a lot for someone in the 80s to become a cultural icon in this sense that like people refer to him as Crocodile Dundee in America. We didn't really call him Paul Hogan. It was sort of like a Pee Wee Herman Elvira situation. He embodied the role and like this is way before Steve Irwin was like doing it for real. To the point that like I thought that Subarus were an Australian car company because he was a spokesman. He almost became like a mascot. When you think of Australia you think of him. He was the one who yeah. would be on on TV saying, come if, to yeah. Australia, put another shrimp on the bobby. If family feud in Australia is a topic, there's a good chance the survey says, you know, he's at least at number four or five is you know, top things you think of when it comes to Australia. No one's talking about Yahoo serious. I'll give you, you know, like we're talking about <laughs> this guy. But that's not to say that these movies haven't exactly aged that well. Oh, uh, and, of course. But it's a comedy from like, you know, yeah. But where I was going with that is like, I thought they were going to be a lot worse. I thought they were like culturally going to be way more insensitive but maybe by the time because we got to like this third one and it's you know it's only 2001 and there are some problems with it but i just expected it to go in a different direction but here they're mostly making fun of how out of touch he is not him making fun of the world that he doesn't understand which i think was more of like the first one Rewatching the first one the worst i'd say stuff that doesn't age well is like he makes friends with like a taxi cab guy that takes him to the bar then he's talking to this woman but then the cab driver points out in today's terms that they would identify as a woman but point being in the movie they're just saying you know he says that guy is an fag that's the scene where he puts like the beer up and then grabs his nuts yeah and he's like oh she really is a sheila there's that kind of stuff but yeah i mean re-watching it yesterday they include aborigine in that movie and this was really a movie that was like it was funded by like the government or like the government you know production i i think that they really wanted to make people like want to go and treat certain things properly so yeah as far as like the, i think the more problematic stuff is in new york and it's not mick pointing it out per se but it is from his perspective because there's so many new things to him yeah like guy using cocaine and all that kind of stuff and then that happens in the third one as well but like you said it's kind of more about him aging that's what I was thinking is that like the first movie feels like Crocodile Dundee saying like, oh, the rest of the world's nuts. Like I'm I'm the one that's like, I'm not crazy. You are, you know, and he goes to New York and he kind of like makes fun of everything he doesn't understand. And it, and I don't know, not that it like comes across as cruel. That was just the time like he it just felt like he was roasting everything. You know, what's that? And they're like, it's a toilet. He's like, what's that for? Like, why would you do that? Welcome to modern society. Like you don't live in the, in the woods anymore. Uh, and this one when he does it it feels more like oh come on mick like get with the time that's not right you know like you should know better oh the jokes in the third one are horrible yeah but it's more like the jokes on him you know so i think that's sort of the way they tried to cross correct things i mean there's still problems you know but it's funny when it's like okay so crocodile dundee is just gonna kind of run into mike tyson in this movie okay <laughs> and it's like 2001 fresh out of prison mike tyson right yeah like that's the joke is like oh look he's being gentle with a child the guy that was just in jail for rape like, right crocodile dundee isn't aware that you know of american pop culture yeah, like the pop culture and the celebrity and like all of the like uh, rumor mill and all that kind of stuff. Like he doesn't understand, you know, what's going on with Mike Tyson per se, but Paul Hogan does. That's what yeah. I'm thinking in the yeah. movie. I'm thinking in the movie is kind of like, well, Paul Hogan knows like this is probably inappropriate. So they're going to make Crocodile Dundee do it to get him to realize like now he's sort of not not that he's like a fish out of water. Now he's kind of like a man at a time. I don't think they successfully do it, but I, I got the vibe that that's where they wanted to go with this guy. 
Well, it's a man out of time, but it's also a man in a different city, although it sounds like he's been to Los Angeles before. Well, I mean, he'll let you know he's been to New York a hundred times. So yes, he's like, oh, yeah, this yeah. ain't New York. He's like, oh, I've been to a city. This ain't a city. And it's like, well, like it's Studio City. Now that's a skyscraper. <laughs> but there is like the element, okay, they've been back in Australia, which is I think how the second one ends. She's like, let's stay here. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, you'll, we'll be happy. You'll be happier here. Then I think the second one came out in 88. So then there's 13 years removed. Between- and they have a kid, but they're not married yet. Yeah, 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 exactly. They're not married yet. But then the third movie also seems to have a, not meta, not mixed commentary, but just like the movie almost has this commentary on Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's more, like, you get both Mick not realizing, oh, this is Mike Tyson, but then the movie itself, as far as the screenwriters and Paul Hogan is a producer, maybe, are just like, oh, let's, like, show Mike Tyson meta let's show George Hamilton with a coffee colonic supposedly Hugh Hefner was supposed to be in it which is clearly going to be that guy that he high fives with the two blondes Paul Rodriguez as his uh, extra double yeah yeah when they're when they're extras on set yeah there's even a weird like you want to talk about like how nope talks about animal handling like that's what this movie does too (laughs) I thought of nope because he becomes the ape wrangler animal wrangler yeah yeah and I was like, uh-oh. But if Crocodile Dundee was on the set, it wouldn't have happened. He would have. Yeah, he would have done his, his little animal trance. All right, so we're, we're teasing it, but let's get into the movie. And let me just briefly outline what's going on here. And it's like, yes, we're sort of picking up where we left off in, the, in Australia. And Crocodile Dundee runs sort of a travel agency, like a tourist trap. Like he runs like this little place where you could go and do like a crocodile tour and he's got his buddies Jacko and Nugget running it. His good friend Donk is uh, the bartender. Basically, they are called to Los Angeles because Sue, his not wife, has to go and like work for a magazine. She's an investigative journalist, and someone was murdered or died investigating a movie. Uh, hold on, I got the name of the movie. Right here. What were they called again? Lethal Agent. So they're making Lethal Agent 3, no less. Hey, they're going to charm. It's very apropos. So they all go to Los Angeles. She becomes an investigative journalist. She investigates the movie and the studio. And Mick goes undercover as an extra and discovers that they're smuggling priceless lost works of art into America through the prop department. Yeah, from, from Yugoslavia. And he has to steal one to authenticate it and then ultimately they go in and they like crack the case and they get everyone arrested uh and he marries his he finally marries sue in the end and so that's like the broad strokes of what we're dealing with today yeah so it's interesting that it's crocodile dundee in los angeles you know the first one's crocodile dundee and then you get crocodile dundee 2 and then the, this one, instead of saying three, it's in Los Angeles. I mean, the first two movies are so 80s, but since this is, I think it came out April 2001, it just has such a 90s vibe to it. Oh, yeah. All the establishing shots of L.A. just, I feel like that like doesn't exist anymore. Like showing Randy's donuts and stuff like that. Kyle, this brings up something so funny that I was thinking about that is related to the plot of the movie. So in the movie, the producers are making, you know, like Lethal Agent 3. And their concept is if we we're going to get these smuggled works of art that no one has seen in like 50 years and we're going to actually put them in our movie. The guy says at the end, if people want to see these famous works of art, they're going to have to come see our movie. It's the only way they're going to be able to see these paintings. And I'm like, that is your big scheme. However, like what you just said is kind of their thing. Like this movie kind of preserved Los Angeles at the time in a way that like it's the only way you can experience it is like through movies, you know, and like this is one of them. There's so many. They did so much. They covered the entire city block 
blocked by block. If there's one thing about this film, it's got plenty of insert shots of locations. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first half of the second movie is a, like has a great New York element to it, too. But like the first movie is so great once they get to New York and like showing New York. This movie, I mean, I'm just not as much of a fan of Los Angeles as New York. I mean, I'm a true person <laughs> like that. It, it was just like, didn't make me, I don't know, like fall in love. There's something endearing about the New Yorkers in the first two movies. And then that's why I say, like, I think they're kind of making fun of Los Angeles a bit more than fun of New York. Like New York is just like a slice of time versus this, like the woman that runs into him while rollerblading, like, oh my God. Oh, so yeah. you're like, you've got a house in the hills and you're a single dad. And so it means you've got custody, which means you're a good man. Oh, you're gay. Oh, okay. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And then again george hamilton and then just the different parties they go to just seem a bit more poking fun than the first two movies oh yeah like i recently covered scream three on the podcast with brian and joey and dan actually and like that movie was shot on the miramax lot is about a lecherous producer so like there's clearly weinstein overtones that they were trying to well not just him but i mean that was a gross or is a gross tradition in film history right that whole casting couch thing but like the irony of it actually being shot on the miramax lot and then many years later him being uh, arrested for what he did and everything there's kind of like an element of that with this movie as well as far as like exposing how gross making movies can be which is weird for a movie to do while it's making a movie like there's a moment on here where they're on the paramount lot which is where i think this entire movie was shot one of the people on the tour goes we should have gone to universal yeah it's so weird what is this movie saying about itself except that like it doesn't like itself either this is a paramount movie that is making fun of their tour and saying like go 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 to universal instead they're better crazy absolutely and i don't disagree i love the you know if you know anything about my podcasting i love the universal monsters the most it's just such a strange vibe to watch this and be like you want to learn a little about movies too okay here's what like they're going to explain like what a grip does and like how they do sort of rear screen projection and like there's just weird shit going on about movie making in this that is like why 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 is it in here and it's not playing as a joke? Parts of this movie don't feel funny. They just feel like a straight up critique of the system. <laughs> so yeah. like, it's a very oddball for sure. Yeah. And it didn't do well at all. You're kidding. I feel like it went straight to video. I don't have Brian on the show who usually covers all this stuff as my co-host. but Played in theaters, but I have the budget. The budget was $21,150,000 and worldwide gross was $39,438,000. Oh. I'll quick pull up the... Uh, no, take your time. The first movie I remember, the estimated... but I, I read $10 million on IMDb. It says $8,800,000. It ended up gross uh, worldwide $320,000. 28 million and this is in 1986 versus 15 years later the first movie was a juggernaut they're not george lucas with a whole trilogy like written ahead of time not that the second one's the most complicated thing to write in the world the point being two years later a second one was in theaters so nevertheless like i'm surprised that this did get a theatrical release i was excited i don't think i saw it in Eaters. It was totally off my radar by 2001. Like I, I thought that Paul Hogan had passed. Probably I was like, you know, in the 90s, I was like, if they didn't do a cartoon about him, then he doesn't exist anymore. So like, I think I first heard about this movie just on the How Did This Get Made podcast, you know? And I was like, what are they talking about? Like again, in like 1999, that was like my peak of loving i don't know if that's i feel like i watched the first one before that but point being again i know in sixth grade in 1999 that's when i dressed up like him and then cut to 2000 september of 2001 is when i began freshman year of high school and that art class that i was writing day mate on my folder and this movie came out that previous april this third movie only came out four years after the peak of me loving the first one so i was i was just much i guess i was just much more aware of it closer to the time of its release and i remember being very excited to see it and then even back then being like this isn't good well you know what might have happened with with a lot of that that still happens today in a different manner it's like with a different age group is that 
like a demographic will latch on to something and be like, I could see kids of the 90s discovering Crocodile Dundee and wanting more, you know? And then just by the time they've caught up to it and it's come out in 2001, it's like, oh, like it actually was for the prior generation. You caught it a little late, like you came in at the tail end. I I see that happening with franchise a lot because like it's kind of rare to get something like Ninja Turtles, which is just like constantly going, you know, and they're like always in the consciousness and stuff. You see it all the time with reboots and remakes. It's like, oh, well, that's those are the people watching the old versions of those movies. And so somewhere those numbers are being run. And so I'm sure in the 90s, they're like, we haven't made one of these in over a decade, but people have been watching the VHS and watching it on cable and like this and that. So like, let's push one more out for those people. Well, there was a rumored third one for a while, and it was going to space. <laughs> it was going to be Crocodile Dundee and Axel Foley, a crossover. Oh my God. Maybe that's why he's in LA. They kept the LA stuff. I guess. Yeah. You know something, man? Like, it's it's wild what happened to him. Like, what happened to Axel Foley? Well, he's not a real person. What happened to Beverly Hills Cop, the franchise? Go back and listen to what Brian and I had to say about that. This movie just, I didn't like it back then. I didn't like watching it. Paul Hogan is still great. His What's his buddy in this movie? Jacko? Yeah, Jacko, who's in the second one, but is actually a bad guy hired by the drug cartel as like a henchman in australia he doesn't get killed in it so i think it's almost like he became like a good guy later on i think he's credited as jacko in crocodile dundee as well i know nuggets in the first he's in the background of the first movie he's in the second movie with jacko and and donk and then and then jacko is in the third one yeah because also Wally, the actor that played him, is dead in real life, but they say he just retired in the movie. I kept thinking that this guy, Jerry Burns, who played the bad guy, I thought it was David Patrick Kelly the whole movie. <laughs> I was so excited. And then at the end of the movie, I was like, wait a minute. That's not the guy from Twin Peaks. That's not the guy from The Warriors. Oh, no. But both bad guys, the main bad guy and the henchman, the one is much more relevant role or uh popular role but plays mike on breaking bad yeah jonathan banks jonathan banks from Um, i've got a slavic accent in this movie (laughs) and then the other guy the main the main bad guy he plays the not therapist but the group person after jesse goes to and i think after his girlfriend dies Oh, he was on Breaking Bad too. That's right. Oh, yeah, he was. How funny is that? And his and his character, like his backstory, is he got so high that he backed over like his kid or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. I I remember him from the sitcom Dear John. Judd Hirsch was like left by his wife and went to a support group. And this guy played a character named Kirk. And I was like way too young to be watching that show, but I I remember the pilot and I remember this guy from that show stuck with me ever since how how crazy is that my roommate was watching something the other day and i i I was just passing i was in the kitchen or whatever i'm like oh that's you know blank from blank and he's like oh shit i never like and it was the first time he was watching whatever movie this was i'm like i just heard his voice and it was so just i love when you just like figure out something like that So there's a couple other interesting people in here. There's this guy named Hal Fishman who plays the on-screen TV reporter. And uh, several years later, he'll also be the on-screen TV reporter in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Oh. Like, he's at the end. He's like... It appears as if Venom has captured Mary Jane and Sam <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. fighting Spider-Man now. You know what? Honestly, I was like, maybe that guy was just like a real life reporter. Because I'm like, oh, I've seen him in movies as a reporter before. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure he's in several. I'm Like, that happens. Like, you know, there's another guy in the MCU who's like a, a reporter in a lot of different movies. But he's also a reporter in like a lot of the Fox superhero movies as well. So people have like a multiversal theory about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's in like the Sony verse also. Also in here we have Janice. Janice, yeah. Janice Soprano, yeah. She's the assistant at Newsweek. That's the whole thing. It's Newsweek, but in LA. And she comes because the guy has died, but then also finish that story, but also because her dad has retired and he needs to find a, a suitable replacement. Yeah. I love I love it too how she like just is right back on the beat. Like she's 
Lois Lane. And you know, my favorite scene in the entire movie is when she's at the movie producer's office and he's getting his massage and she's <laughs> like investigating him. And she's like, hey, is it usual for you guys to like ship props halfway across the world? Why why don't you just go there and shoot the movie? Like, is it unusual to be shooting one movie in two locations at the same time? And the guy's like, well, you know, sometimes you have to ship props from where they're made to where you need them. And other times, like we've got the second unit director shooting here and we got the other direct, you know, it like teaches you about filmmaking. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, but the access she's given and the guy's like thinking to himself, we killed the last reporter who was doing this. What is this woman's problem? Like, does she have any idea like how dangerous this is? And I'm thinking to myself the same thing. I'm like, this is amazing. Also, I love that scene because he gets the massage and has a towel around his waist and then goes to his robe and then you see the towel seductively drop onto the floor while he robes oh, yeah. himself but then afterwards after she leaves the room he looks in the mirror and he's just like he says something along the lines of like you beautiful man you fooled her and then right away the next scene is just like she was like says to mick you know when you've met someone that you realize that you just know they're lying to you every <laughs> second <laughs> So stupid. That guy was on a show, I think, about a newspaper or something like that. Okay. Oh, you know what else he was on that was hilarious I watched during the lockdown was Angie Tribeca with Rashida Jones. It's almost like airplane, but like at a police, well, it's like, it's like police squad, basically. It's like the, it's like a revival of, of that old, like Leslie Nielsen show kind of it's, and he's in that and he's hilarious in that. Looks like he was also in Justified, a show all my friends are angry I haven't seen yet. Oh, yeah. He's really good on that. He always plays like, he just has such like a slimy, swarmy voice. Oh, Good Morning Miami. It was only on for like two seasons, two or three seasons. Hmm. Oh, okay. I don't remember that show. I always enjoy him in anything I see. And he just, he plays like such a nonchalant, like threat in this movie. It's like Jonathan Banks does the heavy lifting as like the right hand guy as as far as like. Yeah. He's the Euro thug, right? Yeah. Which, which is also interesting that this movie, it continues what like the second one did to the franchise. You know, the first movie has the guy trying to mug him and the famous, that's on life now, that's on life, you know. This has the drive-by, but but the second movie brings in the whole cocaine drug lord stuff. So, like, this continues... He thinks it's about drugs. He's like, it's got to be drugs. He's like, he's got the stupidest theory. Although it's not that dumb. This guy, the the writers must have watched Traffic because he's like, oh, clearly they're smuggling these these ugly paintings in and like these giant frames. I bet the frames are made of cocaine. They've yeah. like condensed <laughs> and molded. And and that's like the plot of part of Traffic is that they're smuggling drugs as dolls. Like they're molding it into like toys and shit. And I was like, what, where the hell did he get that leap in logic? I think he references a TV show a few times. Like he's watching like uh, NY. I think he says NYPD Blue. I must Something have like missed that. that. It's just the weird thing about this movie is that like it loses me so easily so yeah. many times. Like I swear I forgot. Like I think like early they get the phone call from LA and it's like, oh, uh, like my father retired, but someone was murdered. So we have to go to LA yeah, and I have spend to spend the summer. Reporter. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, shouldn't there be more urgency about this? And like you're gonna bring your kid all that like i understand like mick's supposed to watch him but now you want him to be like a spy the movie ends with him talking to camera like private investigator he's like nah that'll never work like dude i don't know i think that was that would have been a good turn to have would have been but now it 22 years later no i mean he can't actually now it's too late i think he also owes the australian government i think a lot of money or something like that well yeah so well he should sell the rights to crocodile dundee you know what's fucking great though about see there's i I don't know if these are mistakes or intentional but like so you mentioned how he turns to the camera at the very end of the movie and like addresses us and he's like yeah maybe never earlier in the movie when he's an extra with paul rodriguez diego the first day on set and they're like action he walks by the camera and he like looks at it and he gives it like a big wave and p-rod's like what are you doing man and he's like oh i want my kid to see me in the movie and he's like you never do that you never look at the camera you never like break the fourth wall like they'll cut you out (laughs) but he does it at the end of the movie intentionally like it's so weird yeah like what is that well there was a rumored fourth one 
in 2019 and they're like we thought that we we're gonna get like a reboot or a passing of the torch with chris hemsworth but then it was just in australia it it was at, it played at the uh halftime super bowl and it ended up being like danny mcbride but then chris hemsworth is just like it, it was pretty much it was like travel to australia it was just like oh. chris hemsworth would have to lose a lot of muscle mass and and a lot of weight and a lot of stuff like i need i need my crocodile dundee to be kind of like wiry you know like that's yeah. what i liked a well, lot about paul hogan is like in an age of arnold and and, yeah. and stallone like he came along and he was kicking ass with no weapons he had a big knife sure but like he was a little guy you know and that was what was kind of impressive about him that's what you know i just i started reading a lot about the first one and the second one as well and just the history of it because i realized i didn't know like much about the process and not that there's a whole lot of information but this, it, again it was just a movie that australia really wanted to make i mean paul hogan was very well known in australia he quite literally had the paul hogan show so he was a commodity there and, it, and he was also pretty popular in england but like no one in the u.s like knew him i mean it was the biggest thing it's still the biggest like australian movie like on you know day one opening or whatever wow yeah so a big movie there but yeah he really wanted you know you don't know how much like i don't know if what i'm reading is like hindsight or like one at least or at least after the movie became popular but i believe him in the sense that like he said he wanted you know to make like kind of like i mean a guy that's not using guns like even just watching the second one when he throws the knife backwards so like the butt of the knife hits the guy in the head both los angeles and the second one are pg the first one's pg-13 there's a bit more cursing and then i don't think her bathing suit has anything to do with it and there's like a little bit more violence there's uh, like a lot of the animal like the croc stuff it's kind yeah. of like yeah yeah he's a knife through the croc's know. head yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah, but he really, he wanted to be kind of like a not as violent, like Chuck Norris meets Rambo. But everything he does is like, you know, I mean, she changes him a little bit in the first one, like, you know, because they're butting heads at first, but then they start falling in love after he like saves her. And then also, but before even that, I think, I, even though I just watched it yesterday, I forget what comes first. They're woken up in the middle or she gets woken up in the middle of the night and he's not there. She hears gunfire and there's a bunch of drunk guys in cars shooting at kangaroos. She's like, aren't you going to do something? He's like, oh, what they're doing is it illegal. And then she, just, she gives him this look and then he picks up one of the dead kangaroos and uses his rifle and starts shooting at the car. So he's a good guy. He's heroic. He does all these big gestures. In the second movie, he he saves a guy from jumping off of a, of, off of a building. Yeah, he you talks know. him down. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah i guess i just wish like you said like he was more chuck norris you know like he he dismantles people but he's more rambo when he's out there you know like he uses the elements i just wish like when he came across mike tyson they like they fought Mike Tyson would never let himself be beaten on camera. <laughs> well, at least like one of the other toughs in the movie. Like, I just wish there was more of that, like actual yeah. action, you know? Like, I don't need to see him stab a dude with his big ass knife. He's got some Jackie Chan to him. Yeah, because he uses what's around him, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he's he's also, he's like a, he's like Kevin McAllister. He goes through the studio, like he's driving like the slow tram car and he rolls off of that. He uses the animals. Guy is climbing up the ladder and then he gets to the top. He literally gives him a Kevin McAllister smile and then pushes him back. Yeah, which he does in like all the movies in little ways. Uh, he always uses his elements. So yeah, he's just like, that's the Rambo part to it. And then I guess it's closer to the Chuck Norris size. I haven't watched a Chuck Norris movie in quite some time. So. Oh, Invasion USA is the one to, is the, is the have you ever seen that one? That one's amazing. Yeah, I mean that and then yeah. Delta Force are the big ones, right? I mean, and obviously Walker, Texas Ranger, but... Uh, yeah, as the show. Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple notes, things that I really like that I would like to mention uh, before we get out of here. See if any of these scratch an itch. Uh, uh, Mick is pro cop. <laughs> he causes a traffic jam because they save a skunk on the side of the freeway and the cops come and they like at gunpoint are like, what are you doing with that skunk? And he's like, oh, look, son, the cops are your friends. And they're like literally pointing guns at them. <laughs> and he's like, you should always trust the cops. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy because, yeah, the son sees something. He thinks it's a dog. It's a skunk. Everyone thinks it's a bomb. Yeah, exactly. Then Mick, because of like, you know, the, I'll, I'll music air quotes right now, because of the game of telephone and, and people repeating it back to other people in cars being like, what's going on? And the one guy being like, it's a bomb. Then the cops come. 
reasonably so they they hear bomb but then they're just like no it's not uh, it's not a bomb and then all of a sudden like it's a skunk and they pull the guns back up that is crazy to me they name drop it's so weird because they're def- they're clearly they're they're making like lethal weapon you know uh, and they're and they're oh, not yeah. they're not calling it lethal weapon you know they're calling it lethal agent What's weird is that like they're gonna name drop like real movies and real actors. Like they talk a lot about about um he's like, you know, Mel Gibson, and he's like, Oh yeah, he's my mate. And he got him out of jail twice. And then then the whole joke is he, she's like, You don't know Mel Gibson? And he's like, Yeah, you do. You know, he comes into the bar back and walkabout, and she's like, Oh, Mal, Malcolm. And he's like, Yeah, Mel. They've been married for this long, but they still don't, you know. Like, no, no, they're not married yet. They I'm get sorry, they've been the together. The yeah. Kyle, there's a difference between just dating and being married, apparently, for 10 years. <laughs> I mean, common law wife, but who, you know, whatever. They live out in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah. And the son finally becomes uh, Mick Dundee Jr. at the end, as he says. I guess, yeah, I guess he would have his mom's last name. Yeah, that was right? a whole thing at the, at the school. Oh, yeah, the horny teacher. Horny teacher for Jacko. They they also name drop Mission Impossible three and Tom Cruise, and they're like, we're not. They're like, what do you think this is? Mission Impossible three? Like, you know, Tom Cruise. I was like, what? that came out in like two thousand five. I'm sure, like, it was always rumored that there was going to be a third one. But the point being, it's well before. I'm shocked it wasn't like a Matrix reference in this movie. I think with some of the music, maybe at the party, it was pretty techno-y. Like, I, I thought for sure at the end they were going to do some kind of like cheapo bullet dodge trick or something with like mick and his magic hand you know with the way he controls like animals like maybe he also controlled like the bullet and i guess like the last big note i have is like the ending of this like with the lion and everything i kind of liked the way that they worked up the idea that you know from the other movies he kind of controls the animals with his uh hypnotism that he learned from the bush and all that kind of stuff and in this movie they set that up real early they kind of pay it off again with the with the ape doing the trick which i thought was nice but then they carry it on all the way to the end here with the lions yeah so like well it's like a total kind of bullshit magic power at least like they treated it properly as far as like screenwriting terms you know like this was a really appropriate i I would say ending to the movie the way that like he gets out of this yeah he uses one of his superpowers yeah Um, well his only superpower (laughs) i mean he's a shitty croc hunter because in the opening of this movie the croc like eats his boat and and it like strands him on the tree branch and then a little bit of a jaws reference in the beginning there but still like you know he's he's like the croc hunter and he's like all right yeah no i mean that's that's the joke in the first movie he literally has like a watch and he looks then he looks up at the sun also in the first movie he's shaving with a regular razor and then when she comes turning around he puts that down and picks up his big like his uh, big so light. he's always been a phony i mean in the second one he's getting followed by dea on the streets like he's good at tracking and stuff like that but there's always that little bit of like he's got a slickness to him they need to do young crocodile dundee like where did this guy come from like was he accidentally like did it did him and his posh ass parents and like they're aristocrats and they're traveling through australia one day and the car breaks down and his parents get like eaten by lions and like he gets taken in by the by the indigenous people and everything and like becomes crocodile dundee and like 15 years later wanders out of the bush into the into the city of like melbourne or whatever (laughs) just like (laughs) I need like that. I mean, it doesn't need to be a movie, but can we get maybe like a comic book? I just have a couple of quick like little bullet points. Not like, oh, so the director is the same director as Free Willy. Oh, wow. Okay. I wouldn't say it's his fault here. I, you know, it's, they've got no money. They got no script. It's, it's a we- it's a very it's a very weak script. I'd say the script is the biggest problem. Just, I mean, I wrote down a bunch of the gags. So there's. Okay. There's the jacuzzi with electric windows that he gets like freaked out that the windows start getting lifted up or whatever. The pickpocket where he reaches in and like grabs the guy's hand. Like sight unseen, he just senses that guy robbing the person. There's the Baywatch girl shout out. I said the rollblading woman, and then the son even goes, "Oh, she's got a nice ass." Oh my god, that's right. And he's like, you gotta stop hanging with Jacko. Yeah, you gotta stop hanging out of the bar. He's driving a Subaru in this movie. We mentioned George Hamilton coffee enema. And the guy, even the little back and forth with the, or coffee colonic, whatever. And then even the bartender, like, he's like, coffee? And he's like, I'll be, and then he's like, 
does he take cream in it? And he's like, just, you know, like kind of shrugs his shoulders or whatever. I'm pretty sure it was in the trailer, but honestly, it's a solid, it's a solid joke slash or pay payoff slash joke. There's like, oh, dad, you bring your knife with you? He's like, oh, no, just may- maybe a pocket knife. And then the anaconda comes out, which is also definitely a reference to anaconda itself. And then he takes out a pocket knife, which is pretty much the same damn size as his other knife, except if flips and it's a little more narrow but it's like the same length the teacher then also says about mick nice butt a lot of butt talk in this movie oh yeah mike tyson inhale the positivity exhale the negativity (laughs) (laughs) there's a clapper light joke if i ever start up foodie films again i will play a foodie scene of them going to wendy's fine dining here and just like the whole stupid like it's just like four of us dining in the car tonight and the jack was like wait blank and blank are joining us now oh yeah as a as a foodie films man rank this famous food scene where they go and scheme the wendy's drive-through to paying for exactly what they order exactly (laughs) Good evening, Wendy. We will be dining in our car this evening. He's like, we'll have six burgers. And then he's like, no, no, no. We'll have six more burgers. And he's, <laughs> then she's like, all right, 12 burgers. And they're like, yeah. And they're like snickering to each other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then and then, the, literally the last thing I wrote down uh, for the movie was a flying cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little Twister reference there too, maybe. Possibly. That's what I wrote it down about Crocodile uh, Dundee in yeah, Los Angeles. Hey. <laughs> Here we are at the end, man. I love this. the first two movies. I'm enjoying our conversation, but I'm totally tossing on the second half of the movie after we stop recording. I was prepared for a lot worse. Like, I'm not saying it's good, all right? But, like... It was way, I was tolerable. Like I could, I watched this in one sitting, you know, like it kind of flew by in a, in a way. That's the thing about Crocodile Dundee movies is like a lot of stuff happens in these movies that like, it just keeps going, you know, like there's a weird momentum to this movie that like just keeps pushing you along. That's a tribute to just a great character and a solid actor knowing he is that character. We know him as Crocodile Dundee, all Hogan. Do you think his epitaph will be Gudai? Goodbye, mate. <laughs> Good night, mates. Good night, mates. <laughs> I'd say the biggest problem with this movie is, I mean, the budget wasn't bad. It was like, what did I say? It was like 20-something million for... No, you were dead on about the script. It's just not funny or interesting in the same ways as they were able to do with the last two movies. I mean, and like, he's, it's not like, you know, he goes to New York in the first two movies, but they're, they're able to sort of find different things to talk about, about New York. And, and same about Australia. It was really weird to me that this felt more like a commercial for LA than like anything with any like kind of substance. That and... As I said, the second one is PG, which I guess it's just because I guess they don't curse in the movie. But like, there's a murder in the in the beginning of the second movie. Her ex husband. Yeah, and they get sniped. They at. get sniped at. So. Yeah, like there is violence and stuff like that. But it still is a PG movie. But I think the biggest thing that also this movie, not that the kid was the kid was good. He, yeah, the kid. Uh, no complaints about this kid at all. Being by having the kid in it, it just makes it more of a kid movie. Yeah, and that, and they also completely forget about this kid with about 40 minutes left, you know? So, yeah. like, there's really, they don't incorporate him, and they shouldn't because they, they're pulling off, like, a crime at the end. <laughs> you know, they're doing a, an art heist. That's the other thing is, like, I like what they did with the kid, but at one point it's like, where's, where's uh, Mickey? And they're like, oh, he's at home with the teacher, and, like, that's what he'll be for the third act. I mean, she says in the first movie, oh, why do I always feel like Jane is to Tarzan around you? And he goes, oh, you know. And there's, like, that nice bond between them in the first movie. And sure, then even in the second movie, I mean, she has that very specific damsel in distress movie with the crocodile in the first movie. In the second movie, she literally gets, like, kidnapped. Yeah, yeah. The first one is just like it grabs the water jug from around her neck, like the canteen, and he has to save her. But the second one, yeah, she is yeah, hostage. she's hostage. But then they both go on the run, like they both are being hunted or whatever. So it's not it, it is just her for a little while, but then it becomes both of them since they yeah. witnessed and know know everything about the guy. Anything else to say about Crocodile Dundee overall? Part three, your halloween costume do you think oh wait you know halloween's coming up any thought in reviving your mick dundee costume if you have a party to go to maybe you and your girlfriend can be these two characters mike unfortunately i am such a stickler for costumes that if i am doing a character 
I am such a stickler that I'm like the character has to have a beard because I won't shave my beard. So I just, I just, I, it's a weird, it's a weird thing about me. So you could be Jacko. I could be Jacko. You can go as Jacko. Could be Jacko. Yeah, maybe. And she could be Crocodile. Yeah, that would be, I like that. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I mean, it's just overall, it's, it's a fun franchise. It's definitely the weakest of the three. I mean, you definitely need to watch the first one. The first one is the better one, but the second one is a lot of fun. And then the third one, watch it, especially if you have a kid, watch it with your kid. Like, again, I remember my dad kind of like being like, oh, you should definitely like, I think just recommending it to me. Like, and definitely, like you said in the beginning, it was definitely a movie that I caught a lot on TV as well. But yeah, no, it's just, it's a fun character. It's just one of those weird cultural touchstones in uh, cinema history. (laughs) It's it's one of the better fish out of water stories. I mean, you know, you, yeah. in like that time of comedies, like not long after this, you get like city slickers. Oh, Kyle. So uh, anywhere else that uh, the fine folks of the Internet might be able to hear your lovely voice, any any podcast or anywhere in person that you would like to or wish to plug any events? Oh, always check out uh, the hundred episodes I have of Foodie Films. Again, maybe someday that'll get resurrected somehow. I just, if I do it, man, I want to have a video component to it. Oh, I just, I'm just putting a lot on my plate in that way. But yeah, so always check out the 100 episodes of Foodie Films, original podcast. P.S. I love Hoffman. P.S. I still love Hoffman with Brian Rodriguez, which if you obviously listen to this show, you're very familiar with Brian Rodriguez and all of the other terrific podcasts on the Cage Club Podcast Network. And then follow me at, uh, had a little rebrand, Mr. Foodie Films is uh now my uh, one insta i started another one i'm a videographer by trade and so i started one for my new company called all day features all day is a fun kitchen term so there's still a little food reference in there but it just made sense uh instead of putting my professional videos on my foodie films productions page and also getting work that people are like, oh, you just do food stuff. I'm like, no, I, I shoot everything. So point being, All Day Features covers that. So check out that. And then also I host karaoke every Thursday night at the best bar in Jersey City, Ed and Mary's. So if you're in the area, come on by. I'm hosting 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. every Thursday at Ed and Mary's. If you come in and you say you're there because of Third Time's a Charm or any other podcast of Cage Club Podcast Network, I'll buy you a beer. Hey, come in and say good day. Say good day. Get yeah. a free, get a free Foster's, yeah. or get a gin and tonic, <laughs> and ask for a gin and tonic, and get, get a Foster's. Foster's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Do all that, and then you can sing some. Uh, oh, Waltz in Matilda, yeah. Waltz in Matilda, <laughs> or what's Men at Work, or In Excess. Oh yeah, Men at Work. Yep. Uh huh. Coming from the land down under. I'm about to come down there and uh, test my pipes at the mic. <laughs> well, that sounds great, Kyle. And again, thank you always for being on the show. I'm sure next time we have some Marvel movies that we got to talk about still, some part threes there. Maybe they'll make another Star Wars trilogy within the next five years <laughs> and we can talk about that part three. I want to get up in person and talk about what's been going on in Star Wars and oh, Marvel yeah. in general one day. You got to have lunch. But uh, definitely thank you for being a huge sport and watching Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles with me tonight. For everyone else, if you'd like to hear all the other shows i'm on just go to cageclub.me cageclub.me and we'll catch you next time three that's a magic number three it is it's the magic number three Three. they stubbing me and that's a magic number what does it all mean